Well, our reading this evening is found in the second book of Acts, and it will be found on page 1094. And we're going to read from the second chapter, starting at verse 41. So it's page 1094. It's not all of Acts 1 and 2, as it says up there. Chapter 2, and we're going to start reading at verse 41. Those who accepted his message, this is what was, took place after the giving of the, the coming down of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Sandy. Good evening. Are you okay? Good. Well, great to see you. And um, how many people are here this morning? Oh, oh, blimey, loads of you. Gosh. That's fantastic. Respect to you for coming out again. Well, you will know full well if you were here this morning, and if you weren't, then it's great that you're here now, that we were looking at being the church that God uses. And I started off by asking two questions. First of all, what is the gospel, which seems like a bit of an obvious question. But it's worth just thinking again about the fact that a shortened biblical view of the gospel is God, uh, sin, Jesus Christ, and faith. Insofar as that we uh, look to God, sorry, that was the second thing we thought we, I asked was what is worship? What do we do as we come to worship? Well, we do lots of things Sunday by Sunday, and services very often take on different shape, different pattern, include different things, and that's good and that's right. But there are some core attributes that need to be there as we gather together corporately to worship. And what we're doing is, in one sense, we're reliving the gospel each Sunday. Which is why at the beginning there's a call to worship. Why the first thing we believe it's important to do is to raise our eyes and look to God. And that's why we have notices later on. Don't have them at the beginning because notices are not as important as the Lord. If you hear nothing else, hear that tonight. Notices are secondary to the Lord Almighty. And uh, so we look to him first at call to worship. And then there's a, a moving down to acknowledge our own sinfulness before a holy and an awesome God. But then we think about, uh, in one guise or another, we think about what God has done to reconcile us to himself in Jesus Christ. That through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, we are made right with God. And so during that service, as we acknowledge our sin, and then through the, the reading of scripture, the teaching of scripture, we see how God has dealt with a human problem uh, in Jesus. And then, one way or another, we seek to respond in faith to what Jesus has done, to receive his mercy and grace again that has made us right with God, and then to think about being sent out, dismissed, to go out into the world and to share the love of God, to share the blessing that God has bestowed upon us. So the gospel in its shortest, purest, simplest form of God, sin, Christ and faith and going out to share that, reliving it in the worship service and then going out to share that is really what we need to be about every Sunday. It's 
good to have that at our very core. God will use that. And then what I said this morning as I went on to say two things from there, that God calls us to be a church that blesses others. Um, and, and that is true. And uh, in so far as we looked at Psalm 67, which the first two verses of Psalm 67 beautifully bring together the priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Brings together that Aramaic blessing with the, the, uh, the promise made to Abraham that you will go and be a blessing to the nations. And what that psalm so wonderfully and compactly says is that God never blesses us unless it's to go out and to bless others. God never calls us into intimacy with himself unless it's to send us out into sacrificial service, ministry, mission and blessing others. And that's what we dealt with this morning. And if you remember, that came on the back of being the person that God uses, which we thought about last Sunday. So, we have the person that God uses, the church that God uses. Uh, We need to be a blessing. But I want to turn the tables a little bit now, although it's not a complete reversal. And I want us to think about the kind of church that God blesses, which is really coming at the same subject now from the other direction. I said, didn't I, this morning, over and over, that the church is blessed to be a blessing. And that's the kind of church God uses. And during the week, I was trolling around looking for incidents where the church has been a blessing by way of illustration. And I came across the least likely example that I'm really very unsure about. This is not what I had in mind at all. And I don't know, I don't know what to think about this, but... Um, Sorry, there's sticky tape up here now. They're trying to stick me to the pulpit. It's a cunning plan. (laughs) Don't want me here any longer, surely. (laughs) Yeah, I came across this example. I'm really not at all sure about this. This is not at all what I had in mind. You can make up your own minds. I'm far from convinced. But uh, it was simply this. You know full well you have long been able to get a drive-through burger. You know, you drive up to the window and you speak into that rather faceless, impersonal microphone affair. What do you want? Burger and chips. And then they go, go to the next window. And you pay them and it's go to the next window. And you get your burger and chips and you never get out of the car. We've been doing that for for yonks. Well, now there's a church that is offering drive-through sustenance for the soul. The Holy Spirit Church in Fremont, California, couldn't be anywhere else really, could it? <laughs> Let's drivers park in the car park before the, uh, the drivers are blessed by the church's pastor through their window. <laughs> the first tri- this is the interesting bit. The first drive-through service on the 17th of September, uh, November last year proved so popular, it will now run every weekday evening between 5 and 6 o'clock. It's quite extraordinary. And uh, have we got, oh, we've got a picture of it. Yeah, that's the way that church chooses to be a blessing. That's not what I had in mind, okay? We're not all about to head off to Wheelie, to McDonald's, and start blessing people through their windows. Well, if you feel really that God has called you to do that, then okay, you can go with our blessing, but we're not coming with it. Um, no, that's not what we had in mind. But we do believe in a very real sense, that we were thinking about this morning, of sharing the truth, of doing justice, of building a strong community in the church that's a witness to the world. We do believe that the church is called to bless people in that sense. Um, 
And you know, let's think about this from the other perspective. Now, what does it take to keep the church vibrant? What does it take to keep the church strong? What does it take to keep it exciting and alive? Because you know, the sad truth, tragic truth in Britain in the 21st century, particularly if you go to our cities, there are an awful lot of churches that are functioning in some very different capacity now. Art galleries, restaurants, uh, even places of worship for those from other faiths. They're, they're all manner of things. Churches are closing, being sold off. Actually, you've only got to go up the road here. The old Methodist church up here is now flats or a house or something, isn't it? The one just as you head out. Um, it's becoming far too common a story. And even where churches are still keeping their doors open, the truth is that an awful lot of them are not vibrant, they're not exciting, they're not alive. So what, what's the difference? What keeps a church vibrant and exciting and dynamic? Well, the answer is, it takes a blessing of God. It takes the anointing of God upon that church to keep it in that healthy state. And you know, wherever God blesses uh, an expression of his church that church will grow in one capacity. It doesn't have to be numerically, but it may grow in terms of uh, spiritual strength and standing. But lives will be changed there one way or another. You know, miracles, in the broadest sense, will be occurring. Churches that God blesses, in turn, bless people, they bless families, uh, they bless the community in which they find themselves. And very often that blessing goes out in ever-increasing circles, way beyond, all to the ends of the earth. And you see, that's what the early church had, really had, magnificently, the blessing of God upon it. God's blessing was all over the early church. And this is, I suppose, why so often we find ourselves being drawn back to the accounts, the biblical accounts of the early church, because there are so many things uh, written for us there that we need to come back to, that we need to be reminded of. And so working our way through uh, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, not the whole of it, only excerpts, I hasten to add, uh, we're going to have a look at uh, some of the, the facets of the early church that caused God to bless it. So, if you'd like to open your... Have I got... No, I haven't. You need to open your Bible to page 1092. 1092 and we're going to work our way through certain parts of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I'd like you to look first at Acts chapter 1 and we're just going to have a look at verses 1 to 3 and verse 14, uh, where we read this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. And then moving on to verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And that's the first thing I want us to think about. Pray for God's power. That's what the early church were doing. So key, so instrumental in why God was blessing the church then. Pray for God's power. You know, it's God's power 
that makes the church entirely different from any other organisational group. We have the Holy Spirit. There are many, many institutions in the world which, humanly speaking, are very successful. Think of uh, Apple. They're very successful. Uh, General Motors, Microsoft, they're all very successful. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They could not even begin to do that which the church is called to do. You know, we have God's power available to us. And remember that we have been commissioned. This all comes back to what we were thinking about this morning. We are sent. We have been commissioned uh, with an enormous assignment to see people, lost people, reconciled to the living God, made right with the living God through Jesus Christ. We are given the assignment of seeing communities transformed as um, we do justice and fight oppression, injustice, disease, because that is a snapshot of the coming kingdom. And that's what we, we know what God's will is for the world, we know what he will ultimately do, and we're called to live out Uh, the kingdom coming by fighting those things now. We have been given an enormous assignment. So, like the early church, that is only going to be possible if we have the power of God at work in our midst to equip us. So, praying, meeting together, praying for the power of God, praying for God's Holy Spirit to be at work among us is absolutely vital. Here's the second thing. Go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 5 to 8. I mean, we could uh, look at much bigger sections, but we haven't time tonight. Use everyone's language. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? It's very, very important, and we hear this a lot, but it's good to be reminded, it's very, very important that we are speaking a language that people understand. This was a hallmark of what was happening at Pentecost. Part of the miracle of Pentecost was that as the disciples preached, as the disciples engaged with the crowd, everybody heard in their own language. In fact, it was a complete reversal, many will say. Not everybody agrees on this, but I think there's a lot of merit to it. Uh, A complete reversal of what God did um, with regard to the Tower of Babel back in Genesis. Well, language is confused and people didn't understand one another. So now everybody is hearing in their own language and therefore they can hear the gospel being preached. That's what was happening here. And if you think about it, I mean, in in terms of languages that the world possesses, the church speaks an awful lot of languages because there are churches in every single country. But actually, beyond that, the church, our church, speaks languages in a different sense. There are different languages being spoken in here because if somebody works in a certain profession, that profession will have its own language. Um, if you are involved in men's ministry, there will be a certain language being used. If you're involved in women's ministry, if you work with young people, there's definitely a certain language being used. And I can't, intellige- I can't understand what it is. It's unintelligible. If you're involved in a, in a sports ministry, 
And particularly if you're involved in a certain sport, those, that group of sports people will all have their own language. And, you know, it's part of the great identification that allows us to talk about what Jesus has done is to first and foremost be actually speaking a language that they understand. So yes, we do know a lot of, of, lot of languages. Um, it, said, it says in the Bible, doesn't it, go into all nations, preach the gospel, go into all nations, pantata ethne. The word ethne there is the word that we get ethnic from. So in a sense, yes, it is going to all nations, but it's all go to all people groups. And you know, the mums that meet at the school gates every afternoon to pick their kids up, they are a people group with their own peculiar language. And so, in order to reach them, it's good to have people that can identify with them, can speak their language. If we want to be a church that God blesses, then we have to realise as well that God has placed people in this church family for a reason. They will speak a language. They will be able to identify with a certain group of people. And, you know, I would bet that the Lord wants to use them uh, to be good news, to be a blessing within that small micro-community of people who understand them. So pray for God's power and speak their language. Very important if we're going to be effective in being a church uh, that blesses others and if we're going to be a church that knows the blessing of God. Then, of course, nothing new, but let's remember this, because as I said, this is all preparation for when we receive the vision we believe God's given us in uh, the first week in March. As we roll that out, we want to be prepared, not just to sit around and go, oh, that's nice, but to actually say, yes, Lord, here I am, use me. And so we have to think about this. The church that God blesses is the church that employs every member's talents, every member's gifts. If you were to go to, or can you go to Acts chapter 2, just nine, verses 9 to 11, we can't look at the whole stretch of this passage, but just look in the middle there, verses 9 to 11 of Acts chapter 2. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. That is some lineup. That's a pretty diverse group of people that have assembled here. And yet, it's from that very, very diverse crowd of people that the first church comes. Therefore, I have to believe that within the first church, the early church, was this diversity of people. And then if you go on to Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, same thing in a sense, in a different sense though, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. It's very important. First and foremost, um, you see this great crowd of diverse people from which the church is born. So the church is all about diversity. And then you see the Lord saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Not, oh, I like that group, but I'm not so keen on that group. No, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. I'm going to equip all of these diverse people to be about my will and my purposes. So it was there in the blueprint for the church that we are to employ this variety of people, their gifts, their talents, and the gifts and talents that God has supernaturally given them. Nobody's here by accident. 
God's plan for each of us to be here, to play our part in what he wants to do. And he equips all people to play that part. The early church used all of its people in ministry. Nobody sat on the, on the sidelines. Everyone's involved. Everybody's living out the plan and the purpose that God has for his church. And so to be the kind of church that God blesses, the church has to be the kind of church where people don't just sit on the sidelines. Everybody seeks the Lord's will for what they're to be doing. And, uh, and we need to help one another to do that. We're saved to serve. We're saved to serve. Okay, so praying for the power of God, speaking a language of the peoples, the different peoples that we're called to reach, using everybody's gifts and abilities and talents, God-given as, well, they're all God-given, but the natural ones and the supernatural ones, that's a part of it. This is very important. Be devoted to God's word. Be devoted to God's word. You know, when Peter got up and preached... Uh, this sermon. It has to be the most successful sermon ever, judging by the response. But when he got up to preach uh, during Pentecost, he continually, you'll notice in there, if you read through the whole chapter, he continually goes back to the Old Testament scriptures, which would have been the scriptures, the word of God that they had at that time. Um, he goes back to God's word as he's sharing the gospel. And we need God's word to change lives we have to be devoted to it we have to be centred around the word of God if we're going to know the blessing of God and if we're going to therefore be effective for him but notice as Peter's used the word of God look at what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 37 when the people heard this obviously they've heard the whole sermon and they've heard uh, how scripture pointed to the coming Messiah how Jesus was the Messiah and how through his life, death and resurrection God has made a way for people to be saved when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles brothers and sisters what shall we do? What shall we do? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the word of God there, literally, you're seeing it being lived out there, it cuts like a two-edged sword. And so it did. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, cut to the heart by the word of God. What shall we do? That's the power of the word of God. We need to be devoted to the word of God. We should hear it. We should read it. We should spend time studying it, reflecting upon it. We should know it. You know, I still firmly believe that when we most need it, God will bring to mind those scriptures that we need at any given moment. But they have to be in there for the Holy Spirit to bring them back to the forefront of our mind when we need them the most so put the word of God in there you know he will he will use that and and a church based around the word of God is a church that God blesses all of the self-help books in the world will never change your life the way the word of God does devote yourselves to God's word that will bless you and as we do it corporately it will bless the church okay let's move on Another thing, love each other deeply. Now we spent some time thinking about this this morning as we thought about building community. It's a powerful thing when the world looks in and sees people getting along in the church that never got along outside. When it sees rather that, you know, when people have fallouts outside the church, they just avoid each other. The world needs to look in here and see people that are constantly reconciling and forgiving one another. Uh, That's a powerful witness. 
We need to love one another deeply if we're going to be the church that God blesses. And uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is from the part that Sandy read to us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which would have been, of course, the gospel, and to fellowship. The early church practiced koinonia, which we call fellowship. It means that they were as committed to one another as they were to Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. Loving churches are blessed. Loving churches are healthy. Loving churches grow. Cold churches don't. And the early church was a loving church. You know, think about it. The Roman government hated Christians and often the Christians were going through persecution under the Roman government. But even the government who really despised them had to acknowledge that the early Christians loved each other in an extraordinary way. They protected one another, they cared for one another and they helped one another like no one else. And this was evident to their foremost enemies they loved one another deeply it's the hallmark of a church that God is blessing Okay, what else were they doing that we need to embrace worshipping with joy they were worshipping with joy it says every day they can, this is sorry, this is verses 46 and 47 in, um, in, the, in chapter 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God blesses the church that celebrates him that celebrates the Lord Jesus Christ. People want to be where worship is joyful. And um, there needs to be joy in worship. We need to, you know, I said this morning and I'll come back to it, that when you've really had a life-changing experience that's filled with you with joy, you want to express that. On the one hand, you should want to tell others. You do naturally want to tell others about it. But also as you come to worship, it bubbles over. Because you know, you know what God has done for you and that joy bubbles over. And that in turn affects others which is very, very important. So there needs to be joy in worship. Worship should be joyful. But worship should also have a depth to it. And I believe that the church God blesses is constantly seeking to go deeper in its corporate worship. Remember, I said this morning that a worship service cannot, should not, should never be based on a modern entertainment event. A modern entertainment event where you get a warm-up, then you get the main event, you watch it, you're entertained, then you go home. You're just a spectator. In a worship service, we're not spectators, we're participants. We're participating in God's great plan. As he reminds us of our standing before him, what he's done for us, blesses us and then sends us out to be a blessing. We're anything but spectators. We are participants. And increasingly, that aspect of worship needs to take on a greater, greater depth. Do you remember Noel Richards? Famous because for a long time he had a ponytail, which a few years ago he had to cut off. You don't remember Noel Richards? You do remember Noel Richards. What's, what's that, Olive, what's that song that we sing quite a lot and you don't remember? Um, you'd know it well if I could remember it myself, but I can't. Anyway, Noel Richards came down here on a few occasions 
to lead some worship and do some worship seminars with part of the church. And I remember talking to him at the time, and he said something. He was part of a, a, a very sort of vibrant church down Guildford, Surrey way, called Pioneer People, for many, many years. And uh, he, said, um, he said one night to me, he said, you know, often, he said, we would come together for worship. And he said, we would just carry on worshipping until we broke through. I thought, that's a strange remark. What does he mean we carry on worshipping until we broke through? Broke through what? And what he was referring to was that during worship, there was this notion amongst all gathered worshippers that they would keep on praising God until they literally broke through, until they found that stronger connection with God, because they wanted... They wanted more of his empowerment. They wanted more of his blessing in order that they would be better equipped to go and be sent out to be a blessing. And I thought, that's an interesting one. And then some years later, some, a guy called Tommy Tenney wrote a book called The God Chasers. And what both of them were talking about was the same thing. That sense in which the church should be seeking to press in on the Lord, pursuing the Lord, uh, you know, in wanting more. Wanting more that he might, that Jesus might be glorified. Seeking to press in, not coming just happy with the way things always are, but actually saying, you know, we're a group of people here, Lord, that want to see more of your glory revealed. That want to see more of your spirit poured out on the church. That want to know more of your transforming presence in our midst. So it was pressing in, it was seeking to break through in that kind of way and saying, you know, we will wait on you, Lord. We will praise you, Lord, until you come and do something new amongst us. And so actually what he had to say made a lot of sense. There has to be joy in worship and there also has to be that desire to say, you know, we believe that as we truly seek the Lord, as we truly wait upon the Lord, he's going to do something magnificent. He's going to do something new. He's going to do something vibrant amongst us. So worship is very, very important. Uh, Being willing to sacrifice is also very important. Verses 40, going back now, 44 and 45 of chapter 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Um, The first church was extraordinarily generous. They shared everything with one another. Now, it's worth noting, I think I said this quite recently, they obviously didn't get rid of everything because if they had have done, they wouldn't have had any homes to meet in. They'd have been outside and homeless. So obviously they kept certain things. But what they did have and what they retained, they were willing to share with one another. You know, there was a generosity about them. Uh, their, their generosity was, you know, moving towards a radical level. And I just wonder, if the church were like that today, how much more of the blessing of God would they know? How much more potent would the church be if it embraced that kind of radical generosity like the early church? I'll leave that with you. And finally, the church that God blesses is the church that reaches uh, our communities or its communities for Jesus Christ. And in verses 40 and 41 of uh, Acts chapter 2, it says, With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number daily. Uh, Sorry, to their number that day. The first church reached people for Christ from its very first day. In uh, in fact, uh, it grew substantially that very first day. And back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus 
has issued this command for us to be his witnesses throughout the world. You will be my witnesses. Wait in Jerusalem till they're clothed with power from on high. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. Ever increasing circles. You will be my witnesses. Nothing's changed. It's not an option. Witnessing for Jesus Christ. We thought about this this morning. Sharing the truth. Doing justice. Building a strong community. It's not an option. You know, as long as there is one person living within reach of our church who is not reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus, then we have to go on trying to reach that one person. But it does take the blessing of God. You know, you you can try and do this stuff in your own strength. You can try and do this without the blessing of God upon your life, upon the life of your church. And it will just break you. It will wear you out. It takes God's hand upon you. And wherever, wherever and whenever God blesses his church, it grows, lives are changed, miracles happen. Churches that are blessed by God bless other people. They bless families. They bless their community. They send people out far and wide to be a blessing. But just as we finish, we want to be blessed. We should pray for God's blessing. But I want to finish by just thinking quickly with you about the responsibility of receiving God's blessing. And this really brings us back around full circle to where we were this morning because... The responsibilities are onerous. Our blessings should flow to others. Do you remember what I said this morning? If you hoard and store the blessing of God, it rots, it stinks. It needs to be shared. The Bible teaches that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. It's what God told Abraham. But when we bless others, God takes care of our needs. You know, he promises that if we will concentrate on blessing others, he will take care of us. There's almost nothing that God won't do for the church that really wants to be a blessing for other people. Do you remember Jesus in Luke chapter 18 said, I guarantee this, anyone who gives up anything for the kingdom of God will certainly receive many, many times more in this life and will receive eternal life in the world to come. In other words, give it away if you want to receive. So when a church cares about blessing others, God then assumes responsibility for the problems of that church. And that's a real blessing in itself, because he's much better at handling our problems than we are. And our blessings to others will come back on us. The more we are a blessing, the more God will bless. Luke chapter 6 Give your life away and you will find your life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. It's the way God works in his economy. The more as a church family we seek to bless other people in the world, the more God says, okay, you're ready for this, then I'm going to trust you by pouring out more blessings on you. You see, part of it is a trust. If God sees that we're good stewards, if you like, of his blessing, then he's trusted us with little things. Increasingly he'll say, okay, I can trust you with more. So I'm going to bless you more because I know you'll go and bless more in turn. 
And that really brings us to the final thing. The more we are blessed by God, and I pray that we will be blessed by God, and I pray that we'll pray that we're blessed by God, but the more we are blessed by God, the more he expects us to bless others. Jesus said it in Luke 12, Much is required from those to whom much is given. Much is required from those to whom much is given. For their responsibility is greater You know, if you're part of a church, and we are, that is blessed with great resources, great people, uh, that others do not have, how does he want us to use our resources? He wants us to share them. He wants us to help others. He wants us to increasingly uh, increase our sphere of blessing. Much is required of those to whom much is given. But if we bless others, we will be blessed. And God will use us if we pray for God's power, use everyone's language, employ every member's talents, be devoted to God's word, love each other deeply, worship with joy, and pressing on God, seek, seek him wholeheartedly, be willing to sacrifice and reach our community for Christ. Let's pray. Father, that great blessing says, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. And you have truly made your face to shine upon Friends and Free Church, and we give you grateful and thankful praise for that. But we're conscious that you bless, that we might go out and share that. Help us, Lord, to be a people who seek constantly to bless wherever and whenever we can. Lord, we know there is darkness, there is pain, there is sin and there is hurt and there is brokenness just right here, right here in the community of Frinton. Help us to be a blessing, a light into darkness. Help us to be a blessing as we bring healing, as we mend the brokenness. Lord, equip us for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.